Let's pray together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Into the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. He rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of his warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Lord, may these words of my mouth and the meditation of all those hearts who will be listening here today, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. For Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Heavenly Father, we trust in your unfailing love this morning. We trust in your enduring word this morning, God. We do not trust our feelings. We do not trust our circumstances. But Lord, we trust in the one who was and who is to come. We place our hope in you. For God, you are our rock. You are our author and the perfecter of our faith. So God, right now as you transition to the message, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all those hearts who will be listening here today may be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. All right, God bless you all. Let's take a moment to greet our neighbor this morning. I just want to thank you guys for this laptop, using it for the first time today. God has a gift. Appreciate you guys. It's a little different, so I might have some glitches here and there, so just bear with me. We're going to continue back with our authentic Christian a Christianity series. Last week was our third year anniversary, and we took a little break. Now we're going to transition now to 2 Samuel chapter 1. But before going ahead and going full in with 2 Samuel, I wanted to finish off just the last portion. I know that last week, the week before, we spoke on the end, the death of Saul. But I just want to touch a little bit more on the death of Saul and the lessons that we can learn from the life of Saul. So today's title is called, Will We Die As We Have Lived? Will We Die As We Have Lived? Final lessons from Saul's death. 
I have two passages here for you. The first one is 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1 through 13. And then we're going to fast forward and go to 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17 to 27. So let's start with our first passage. It says this, the title is Saul Takes His Life. Chapter 31, verse 1. It says this, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. Verse 7, when the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen at Mount Gilba. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor. And they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtoreth and fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. When the people of Jabesh Gilbeat heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men marched through the night to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. Now Saul, he doesn't get murdered. He takes his own life. He commits suicide. And not only that, he has a very embarrassing death where his enemy comes and chops off not only his head and the rest of his sons, and they put his body in the temple of their idols. Again, it's not God, Yahweh God, of their idols, of their pagan gods, and their heads to proclaim the news that Israel had been defeated, that they had killed their one and only king, Saul. So now, 2 Samuel, let's transition now. 2 Samuel is going to be the life of David now. 1 Samuel was all about Samuel with his mother, Hannah. And then we see the rise of Samuel. We see the rise of Saul, the first king of Israel. And the life of Saul and also David running away from Saul. Saul throwing spears at him. Most of it is about David running away. But 2 Samuel now... It's going to be the story of the rise of King David. He's going to be finally, finally he's going to be crowned as 
the king, and this is the beginning part. And now David, in this passage, he learns about the death of Saul and how does he react. This passage alone, verse 17 to 27, it alone shows how amazing David is to praise someone who, is tr- who was trying to kill him. Again, the title says, David's Lament for Saul and Jonathan. Let's begin. Verse 17 says this, David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. And he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this. Lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jashar. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields, for there the shield of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul no longer wrought with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life, they were loved and admired, and in death, they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You are very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. And what we can learn here, there's a stark contrast between two types of men, two types of people. There are two types of men here. The valiant, the powerful, the strong, who trusts, who is courageous, who trusts in the Lord, who is like David, and who is also like the man here, the people of Jabesh, Gilbeah, they went and they went back and they fought to bring back Saul's body back, and they fought valiantly, they fought courageously, but there are those, the other part of the group, who are the cowards, who will run away. It says here, the Israelites, the people who fought with Saul, the people who were supposed to be loyal to Saul, when they saw that Saul had died, they fled and they ran away. It says they abandoned their towns. It says in verse 7, it says they fled. His army had fled. That Saul and his sons had died. They abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. There are two types of men, the valiant or the coward. There are those who will fight, and there are those who will run. And the question to us today is, which one are we today? As men and women of God, which one are we? Will we stand our ground and fight, or will we run just so that we can live in this temporary life, this temporary earth, this temporary citizenship that we have on this earth? For one day, we all will die and we will face our end. May we have the courage today, as Joshua declared in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 to 15. 
And what does he say here? This is when he enters the promised land. He says when? Now, not later. Not later when it's convenient for you. Now, now fear the Lord and serve him with what? With all faithfulness, with everything that you have. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose. Again, life comes down to our choices, comes down to our choosing. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But what does he say? He says, but as for me... And my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen. When we serve God, we must fight. Amen? Fight and not flee, not run away. With God, there is courage and there is strength to finish this battle. We may lose our battles here and there, but in the end, ultimately, we will win the war. We have already won the war through Christ who died for us because he died and he rose again. He did not remain on the cross or on the grave. He rose again from the dead. Because he lives, I live. Amen. So let's start with point number one. Turn to the Lord now, not later, near your death. Turn to the Lord now, not later, near your death. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, turn now, not later. All men will die. All men die. All living beings, they will die. And if you choose to live the most of your life, serving yourself right now in this current moment, right now as we speak, on this very day, living for ourselves and never for God, most likely, and I say most likely, most likely, even in your death, you will not run to God as Saul did. He didn't. He did not run to God. Even until his death, he was proud and he was stubborn. He continued to reject the Lord. And the, lie, the greatest lie from the enemy is this, is that you will always have tomorrow to repent. You will always have tomorrow to turn to God. But the reality and the truth is tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of us. Saul faced his end the same way he lived his life. Saul took control of his life when he was living and steered it in the direction that he wanted it to go, not the way that God wanted him to go. Therefore, even in his death that we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 31, he was still proud and he was blind. The text shows us that Saul never repented and he never turned back to the Lord. So the reality is when death comes and it comes to us and it comes to us all, the question is, will we respond to death as we did in the life that we lived before God? Will we live in humility? Will we in humility turn to the Lord as we did in the life that we lived in our death? Or when we face our death, will we continue to be proud and turn away from the Lord and reject them continually. Because the decision that you make in this life right now, in this current day, right now in 2021, will determine, will become the outcome of our eternity 
in heaven or in hell with God. And if you want to die well for the Lord, if you want to die well for God, we must live well for the Lord now. If not, most likely in the face of our death, we will continue to reject the Lord because our heart will become hardened over time. It's like plaque that builds up over time. You don't go to the dentist next day, you get plaque right away. Some people do, yes. has to do with the calcium and the saliva and all that. It's genetic, I think. But it doesn't happen overnight. Your heart doesn't turn hard overnight. It takes time. It comes after continuous rebellion, after rebellion, after rebellion, after rejecting God over and over and over again. You live your life the way that you want to live, away from God, away from God, rejecting God continuously. And your heart will become hardened to the point that even in death, you will not repent. You will not turn back to the Lord. You didn't need him when you were alive. And why would you need him now? Now that you're about to face your end. The greatest example of this is Pharaoh in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Pharaoh, and I hear this a lot. People say, it's not fair what happened with Pharaoh. It's so sad. Like, why, would, why was he even born in first place? Why would God do him this bad, right? Why would he even let him be born for such a time as this? But let's take a look what the Bible says about Pharaoh and what happens to his heart. Exodus chapter 7, verse 3 to 4, it says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Again, this is God speaking. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And you may think, oh, that's not fair. God already hardened his heart. He never had a chance to change. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, it says in verse 4, He will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. Let's continue on. Let's skip. Let's fast forward to chapter 9, Exodus chapter 9, verse 12. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he will not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord has said to Moses. Exodus chapter 10, verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he will not let the Israelites go. Exodus chapter 10 verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he was not willing to let them go. Again, who was this man, this Pharaoh? He was not a godly man. He was everything anti-God. He was the complete opposite of Moses. He did not have any faith at all. He was a dictator. He has slaves. He treated Israelites as slaves, used it for his own good, meaning he was evil to the core. And God knew that Pharaoh, his heart, was too hard to the point of no return. There comes a point where your heart gets to a point of no return. When God shows us signs and he tries to speak to us, And we are too blind. We're too proud. Our heart has become too hardened that we do not hear what the Lord has to say to us. And that's a scary place to be. Again, we read this and you say, how is this fair? How is this fair to Pharaoh? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Let's go to Exodus 8, verse 15. And when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he, 
This isn't God. He, Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. It will not listen to Moses and Aaron. Just as the Lord has said. Exodus 8.32. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart. and will not let the people go. Pharaoh hardened his own heart even after all the miracles that he witnessed. Each other plague, the ten plague that came, that was God's mercy to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. That was Pharaoh's chance for him to repent and turn to the Lord. Even in death, and God even gave, the last plague was, I'm going to strike the firstborn of all the sons of the land, of the people who are living in the land of Egypt. And what happens? Only those who have faith and who put the blood of the lamb on their door frames, then the spirit of death will hover over it. That's why it's called a Passover, right? It passes over. Death no longer has power over us. So what happened? The Israelites were the only ones who had faith. They listened to Moses. They listened to Aaron. They listened to what Moses had said. They listened to what God had instructed. And they listened. They put the blood of the lamb. But Pharaoh, even to the end, this was his last chance for him to turn to God and to admit that God is Yahweh. He is a true king, true God over the world. But what happened? The Egyptians, they rejected. Their heart was hardened to the point. God is just bluffing. I'll play games with God a little bit. Tomorrow I will live. Who is God to have control over my life? He doesn't have power over me. And those who rejected the firstborn, they all died instantly the next day. But only those who had the blood of the Lamb, which was a foretelling of the cross, Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. For those who die with Christ, we rise again with Him, for we have resurrected with Him. And it's the blood of Christ that protects us from the life of death. And it shields us from our spiritual death. The plagues were God's grace and mercy to Pharaoh and to all the Egyptians. But reality is, Pharaoh, he got to a point of no return. His heart was hardened, and he could not turn back. Even when he lost his firstborn child, even in, in that situation, he couldn't turn back to God. Because what does he do after? Yes, he lets the Israelites go, and they flee, that's when they get to the Red Sea, and obviously there's a huge blockage. What do you do? Uh, God says, take your staff. The sea splits, and then behind them is who? The Egyptians. So Pharaoh still couldn't learn. Even to the end, he could not learn. He went ahead, and he sent his soldiers to pursue his enemies, the Israelites. And then right after they all got out safely, the water came back, and all of his Soldiers, they had died. So again, the question, will we turn to the Lord now or later? But later is not promised to any one of us, for death is knocking at our door any moment, but tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. Therefore, right now, when we have the opportunity, when we have the chance, we must turn to God at this very moment. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. 
Even after all the miracles that he witnessed, even after he saw God's power with his own eyes, he still chose not to submit to the Lord Almighty. That's how hardened his heart was. That was God's mercy and his grace. And Romans 9, chapter 15 to verse 18 says this, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will compassion, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I'll raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. Mercy and grace is given to all human beings. But where it says here, he hardens whom he wants to harden. There comes a point where you harden your own heart with your continuous rejecting and rebellion before God. There comes a point of no return, no safety. God has mercy on all of you to me to every single living being here on this earth, to every human being. But there comes a point where we harden our own hearts, where we no longer pursue God. We take God away from our schools. We take God away from our government. We take God away from everything that we do. Everything is anti-God, anti-Christ. So right now, when we still have breath, while we have the opportunity, can we turn to the Lord now? And all human beings, right, at the end of the day, uh, we contemplate about our final destination. Sometimes we think about our end, right? We think about our final destination. And we know that we are finite beings, but eternity at the same time, eternity resides within all of us. For we are created in God's image and imago Dei. Because we desire to, we yearn to be with our maker. And we, we contemplate and we ponder about it more even when we go to funerals, right? When we attend a funeral or we have a death, a loved one in our deathbeds. And I remember during chaplaincy at the hospital when someone is about to, they have a final moment with in their life and sometimes they're young healthy but tragedy strikes and uh, a lot of times they're older older individuals and you come and I read Psalm 23 I read passages with them I share the word the word of God and in the end they have a lot of regrets and they have things that they wanted to do but sometimes they could barely listen they could barely open their eyes and we see it, we contemplate about our death. And the thing is, it goes back to the point, point number one. Turn to the Lord now, not later near your death. And just like Saul, if we live our lives hardened before God, then most likely, even in our death, our hearts will also be hardened. And even then, we will not be able to see and have the opportunity to repent. I mean, you're blessed if you're able to die at an old age in your deathbed. I think that's ideal for everyone, 
But death is not funny. On YouTube, you could find hundred ways, the most silliest ways people died, and simple as walking. I don't know, I'm just making stuff up. You slip on a banana and like you hit your head or something. Like I wouldn't want to die like that. But we all would like to die old, right, with our family members next to us, our loved ones next to us, and and be able to contemplate and ponder about our life and have the opportunity to repent. But not many of us are lucky that way. Death comes at an instant. It could come tomorrow. It could happen in five days, ten days, a week, a year from now. It is not within our control. And somehow we fool ourselves thinking that I will somehow die in my deathbed and I will have the opportunity old in my ears to turn to God, fooling ourselves thinking later, then I will have my chance then to repent and turn back to the Lord. And that's the greatest lie of the enemy. The truth is no. The answer is no. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. Only the few lucky ones may. You may or you may not. Don't fool yourselves, but do not take that chance. Turn to the Lord now while you still have breath, men and women of God. Point number two, stay humble in his eyes, not big in your own eyes. Stay humble in his eyes, in God's eyes, not big in your eyes own eyes. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, stay humble. Don't be big in your own eyes. So point A, Saul was ugly spiritually. So point B, Saul was weak spiritually. So point C, Saul was bankrupt spiritually. Saul was attractive physically but he was horrid spiritually. Saul was handsome physically, but he was ugly spiritually. Saul lacked faith to trust in God fully. Saul trusted in himself, in his own abilities, on witches. We learn about the witches that he went to to seek help in pretending to look religious and everything opposite of God. Saul was bankrupt spiritually. Saul had no respect from his peers and from his fellow soldiers. He did not have allegiance from his men, from his soldiers who fought under him. Saul is a perfect example of someone who looks good on the outside, but inside is rotting to the core of who they are before God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 to 28, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Again, whitewashed tombs are tombs when you go to the graveyard, You see a tomb that is clean white 
It looks good on the outside, but what's inside is full of dead bones. Everything is rotting. Everything is dead. May you clean the inside of your cup, not just the outside of your cup. Amen? Stay humble in his eyes and not big in your own eyes. Point number three, continue in obedience before God, not in rebellion. Continue in obedience before God, not in rebellion. Each obedience is like a brick that we put up one by one to build a wall, just like a house is built over time. Each obedience is a brick that we pile up over time, eventually becoming a shelter, a house for us to reside in. So my point is be faithful with what little that you have been given in your life. Be faithful in being obedient in the little things and the small things that you have. I want to show you an update of the most recent uh, building of San Jose in the Philippines, the church that we are partnering with, that we are partnered with. Life Reach Pastor Rolex, he sent me this video. I, I would like to show this to you because some of us, when we were there, we were there to physically work. We work really hard, and I want to show you an update of the building of the church. Recently, we gave donation as well, especially with the pandemic and everything. Uh, we need to be praying for our fellow brothers and sisters, our partner, Life Rich with Pastor Rolex and his team. So let me just show you a clip. Amen. So each obedience is a brick that we put up, eventually becoming a house that we can reside in. Be faithful in the obedience in the little things that God has given to us. And eventually we will build it into a house, a house, a place where we can go and we can worship and therefore we can be a shelter to others. So the question that I want to ask is this. Where are you, valiant men of God? Where are you, faithful women of God? Where are you, warriors of God? And I say warriors because we did not come to this world. We were not born into this world so that we can have life easy. This is a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual battle. This is why we have been called here in this place to battle and to fight. 
we are called to fight the good fight. Amen? It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20, and I want to start with this, put on the full armor of God. And within this passage, where it says put on the full armor of God, it says be strong. Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Verse 12 reminds us that our fight is not physical, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a fight that we cannot see with our earthly eyes. A lot of people are blind. A lot of people are proud. They are not able to see the truth because, again, this is a spiritual battle. And how do we fight the spiritual battle? We don't fight spiritual battle by becoming strong physically, working out physically, doing martial arts physically. We become strong by praying, reading the word, by praying in the spirit, knowing what, knowing the life that we're living in, knowing the reality that it's not a physical fight of flesh and blood, but of the spiritual realm, the spiritual evil forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, I'm closing with this. Remembering the title, Will We Die As We Have Lived? Will We Die As We Have Lived? The final lessons from Saul's death. And I pray that we will learn from Saul not to live this life foolishly while we still have the breath right now, not to reject the Lord as we did, as Pharaoh did, as Saul did. May we not follow the example of these two individuals, but may we, as we now dive in, starting next week, as we started this week and next week we're going to go in death with the life of David, may we, like David, and David is not perfect, not at all. He commits many sins. He makes many mistakes, just like you and me. But may we, like David, in humility, every single day, repent and turn back to the Lord. 
Because if we're faithful in this life right now, while we still have breath, we will run to God even in our death. I once heard a pastor say this, when I die, I will be with Christ. And while I live, Christ will be with me. I'll say it again. When I die, I will be with Christ. While I live, Christ will be with me. So in conclusion, in life and in death, I will be with Christ. May we, in life and in death, walk and be with Christ this very moment. Going to verse 3 and 4. The fighting grew fierce around Saul. And when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. In life, Saul took control of his own life and did what he wanted to do. Even in death, he took control of his own life and he did what he wanted to do. Meaning Saul lived in cowardice and he died in cowardice. Saul lived in pride and he died in pride. Saul lived blindly, therefore he died blindly. However, not you, men and women of God. The question is, how will you die? The question is not only, how will I die, but how will I live? How are you living right now at this very moment, in the breath that you have, in this very present day, in 2021, right now as you speak? Because your now, your choice now, the way that you live your life now, will determine the rest of your eternity. The question, how will you die? And I pray that even in life and even in death, that Christ will walk with us, that I will be with Christ. Amen? As Paul declares here in Philippians 1.20, can we all read it together as a church? Ready? One, two, three. Now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Amen. In life and in death, I will be with Christ and Christ will be with me. Can we take this moment right now? If you could just bow your heads with me, with your eyes closed, without any distractions of the people that we're sitting next to. This is between you and the Lord. No one else can save you. Just because you have parents who pray, who go to church, their salvation, their faith will not lead us to eternity with God. It is by our decision. It is my life to live. It is my decision. It is my choice. Again, God, He gives mercy to whom He wants to give mercy. And He has given it to us. May we take this moment right now and this opportunity to repent before God and turn to Him while He still may be found. When we die, 
it is too late. When we take our final breath, it is too late. You must turn to God now, not later. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to any single one of us. Turn to the Lord now. Salvation is a day. Today is a day of salvation. Turn to the Lord while he may be found. Do not be proud. Do not be blind. Do not be lost in your own doing, in your own pride, in our own stubbornness. But may we, in humility, turn to the Lord right now at this very moment. Can we at this time pray to the Lord with the whispers of our hearts, turn to him and run to him as the prodigal son. May we run to him and run towards our heavenly father who loves us and who died for us. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of you. For Lord, you are our Lord, and you are our God, and you are matchless in worth. God, you are. There's none that can compare to you and who you are. So God, we trust in your unending love, in your agape love. We trust in you, for we are created in your image and in our day. So we trust in you, God, in this very moment. We don't trust our circumstances. But we surrender and we give our lives to you while we still have breath. So God, just like the message today, we all will die as we have lived. Lord, help us to die in the way that we have lived faithfully for you. That even in death, that we are with you. And even in life, you are with us. So God, point number one, may we turn to the Lord now, not later, near our death. For tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. And point number two, may we stay humble in your eyes and not big in our own little eyes. May we not be ugly spiritually as Saul was. May we not be weak spiritually as Saul was. May we not become bankrupt spiritually as Saul was. But when we turn to you and be spiritually rich as David was, may we be valiant and be courageous before you, O God, and follow you wholeheartedly and to fight the good fight. And lastly, point number three, may we continue in obedience before you, God, and never and not in rebellion. Lord, and the question, where are you, valiant men of God? Where are you, faithful women of God? Where are you, warriors of God? May we lift up our hands today and say, Lord, here I am. Here am I, O oh Lord. Use me. Use me for your kingdom and for your purpose. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in your precious Son. Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful Sunday. 
and for blessing us with this space and with the message delivered to us through Reverend Andrew this morning. Lord, we choose today, this very moment, to remain faithful to you, to serve you, and to obey you. Rather than run away in fear, we will stand our ground and continue to fight by placing our trust in you alone. While we are still alive and still have breath, we make the choice to turn to you and to live for you so that even in our death, we will not reject you. Since tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us, we pray for humble and softened hearts so that we will not delay in repenting to you. We seek you and desire to be with you. So we thank you that by your grace and your mercy that you are with us in life and even in death. At this time, we lift this offering up to you, thankful for all that you have done for us, and pray that it will be used to further your works and to bring glory to your name. Please continue to watch over each of our members and protect them and their families this week. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 